we go. Good morning. I love all this stuff. I, a couple weeks ago, am I thinking right? Yeah. A couple weeks ago, I, I've been in this place for 49 years. So I've seen all the changes. I've been part of all the different. And every time the new season comes, it's exciting. It's fun. And, and I, hope, I hope you just get on board. Just enjoy the ride that we take together and hearing God and, and doing and enjoying the things he brings to us. But today we are. We're starting a new series. Is that, yeah, it's called Spirit Life. Um, I'm not as creative as, as Pastor Jeremy with titles. And so this is what we're going to talk about. Spirit Life. I, I, how many of you remember his... Uh, what was the parables? Do you remember that? Creative. Took me a minute to catch it, but I don't do that. I'm, I'm just much more literal in my interpretation of things. But we're going to be talking about spirit life, okay? Let's jump into it. Um, John six sixty three. Jesus said this. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. How many of you know that? Then why do we keep listening to it? Never mind. We'll get to that later. The words that I have spoken to you, their spirit and their life. Their spirit and their life. This is Jesus' mission. This is why he came to this earth. He didn't come to just teach. He didn't come to just heal. He didn't come to just do miracles. He came to deliver these words that in the words, that in him, who's the word made flesh, there is spirit and there is life. That's why he came. Faith in Christ isn't just new life. It's a new kind of life. Do you understand that? This is the point I want to try to keep drilling home, and I want you to see yourself in this today. It's not maybe new information, but sometimes we need reminded that you live a different kind of life than other people on the planet. There's in us something unique and eternal that wasn't before you established a walk with Jesus. They are spirit and their life. So we're going to talk about this spirit life for a couple of weeks. Um, life in the spirit, filled with the spirit, walking in the spirit. There's a lot of phrases and terminology that we use, but it's, it's all talking about this, this relationship that we have with, with the living God and, and what that looks like. And it's a life that, that's unique to you and to me. It's unique to the body of Christ. It's unique um, completely and exclusively to those who have established a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's available to everyone, but it's only real in the hearts of believers. It's only real in the hearts of those who have faith in and follow after the person of Jesus Christ. Um, we're not talking about being religious, okay? Statistics say 54% of Americans believe themselves or say that they are religious. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about even being, being spiritual, it's interesting, 54% say they're religious, 75% say they're spiritual. 
I don't really understand the difference. I'm not, I'd love to talk to some of those people and see what their interpretation is. But we're, we're talking about people who follow and have made Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of their life. Amen? Anybody here meet that qualification? Okay, I'm talking to the right people then. Um, so, so let's talk about this, this spirit life, okay? Uh, do you ever buy a used car? That was sort of an abrupt segue, I just realized it. I'm sorry, for, but it'll, hopefully we can make a point. Um, I used to be a, that used to be like a side little hobby for me. You can ask my wife about that later, but I used to buy and sell. We had a primary car, the second car I played with all the time. And as soon as I would buy a car, I'd, I'd put it up for sale and see if, it was just fun to me, never mind. I, I was weird. But you buy, okay, so you have this car in mind. You have a certain model in mind, a certain style, a certain look that you're going after, a certain color that you want. And so you find this car, right? And, it, and it's, it's right in the sweet spot of the price range that you wanted to pay. And there's this car. And, and you're all excited. And then you start the engine. And there's smoke and there's clanging and there's parts falling off. Is anybody buying that car? No, you'd be, you'd be foolish to buy that car, right? We, we, we don't go after that car. And the reason's quite, quite simple, because when you're buying a car, it's really what's under the hood that matters. Because if the engine don't run, if the engine's not sound, then, then the car doesn't have value, no matter if all the other qualifications, all the other things check the boxes. You're not buying that car. I, I don't do a lot of grocery shopping, um, and there's a reason for that. I hate it. So when I go in a grocery store, I go to get, if there's two items I'm supposed to get, I get two items, I leave. I'm gone. My, no, my wife, that's why she does a grocery shopping. She's saved me thousands of dollars over the years because she, she knows pricing and deals and, and whatever. But I, when I do go in, I notice things that I didn't, don't remember seeing many years ago. I, I always notice there's always those people who are not just ticking off the shelf what they want, but they're reading the labels. We have any label readers here? See? See, they're out there. And, and they're wanting to know not just what the, it says on the package of what the product is, but they want to know what's in it. Because it's what's inside the counts, right? It's, the ingredients matter. And if maybe we're becoming just more conscious of what we're taking in and, and putting in our bodies. Um, when you go see your doctor for, for an exam, for a physical, he doesn't make you stand in the corner and turn around and just look at you and say, oh, you're all right, come back in six months. Right? No, he, 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 he listens to your heart. He listens to your lungs. He looks in your ears. He looks in your nose. He, sometimes he may send you for an x-ray or a scan of some sort. Because the truth is, it's what's inside that counts. It's what's inside that makes a difference. I've noticed even when you buy stuff on Amazon now, have you, have you noticed that when you scroll down and you're reading through all the descriptions and all the information, it'll say at the bottom, here's what's in the box. So when it arrives, you're not surprised because it's what's inside that counts, which is the title of my message today. That, that's, by the way, S stands for spirit. <laughs> what did you think it was? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. 
and thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, be present among us. Guard everything that's said. Guard everything that's heard. And may the seed of the truth and the life of your word take root a little bit deeper inside of all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, there's a lot of things in life that are important. Right? Did you say that? We call it, and for diff- maybe it's different things for different people, but there's a lot of things in life that are important. There are other things and fewer things that are actually essential. You know, it may, we're talking about that car. It may be important that the car you find to buy is blue. My, my sister from Florida came a year ago, and when they got here, their van, I mean, blew up almost literally. And was dead, DOA. So they had to rent a car to get back home, and it was a whole thing. But they picked the car that they wanted to buy. They wanted, and they were going to buy new, and they wanted a, a, a certain kind, I forget the model, of a Subaru. Okay? But they wanted, she wanted a blue one. Well, it was during that time that, remembering there was a shortage of cars, of new cars on lots because of the chip and all that. So, that, so they had the car she wanted in variety of colors on the lot. She could have bought and driven home that day, but she had to have blue. And so she waited, I think, almost like four months because it had to be blue. So it may be important that it's blue, but how do you know it's essential that it had tires? (laughs) I don't think that's a hard stretch. You know, it may be important to you that you're... The phone you have in your pocket or in your purse is a certain brand or a certain model. But it's essential that it have a battery, right? Doesn't matter. The rest doesn't matter if it doesn't have a a battery. This word essential sort of has risen um, in in, um, awareness largely because of what we've just been through, COVID introduced that word to us. We heard it all over the place. We were hearing about essential personnel, that it was essential that you not leave home if you don't absolutely have to, that it was essential that you wear a mask or you take a test or that you get an injection. And all of life changed because certain things were deemed essential. All right, now stay with me. Don't go down the COVID rabbit hole with, all right? There's so many opinions about that thing, and I, it'll probably never be resolved. But, you know, all the way from we should have never done anything to we should have done more. It, I don't want you to disconnect. I'm making a point that there are things essential that are really essential. Paul says in the text we're going to, and if you want to turn to Ephesians, the third chapter, Paul says there that there's something essential about this spirit life that we have. Or something essential, if we're going to have this walk with Jesus, this relationship with Jesus. And he tells us in the text, in the context of a prayer. He's praying for the church and the people in Ephesus. And we can also bring that right up to date. And you can just know that the Apostle Paul's prayer applies to you today. You can imagine in your own mind and heart that Paul is praying for you, and it applies. And it has life and meaning to you. So let's read it. The third chapter of Ephesians, starting in verse 14. 
Paul's praying. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. All right? In your inner being. We're going to pause there. We're going to continue the text in a couple of minutes, but we're going to pause there for a moment. Spiritual life doesn't come from external sources. The, the foundation, the root, the life of this spirit life doesn't come from things outside of us. We don't have spirit life because our parents were Christians and we were raised in a Christian home. We don't have the life of the Spirit in us because we do good things for good reasons. Or because we study and read the Bible and have have memorized numerous verses. We don't have spiritual life because we, we pray five hours a day. We don't have spiritual life... Um, because we, we serve or we give or we belong to the right church and we're active in that church. Now, I'm not minimizing those things. Spiritual disciplines are, are vitally important. And when we get to the third message, we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines, but that's not what I'm talking about today. They're, those things are necessary if we're going to grow in this spirit life that God's given us. But those things, those externals don't have the ability. They can't conceive spiritual life inside of you. They're not capable of it. Paul's saying that there's a part of you as a Christian where the this life of the Spirit is formed in you. You can read, you can pray, you can serve, you can give, you can do all those things and not be spiritually alive. If you remember, there was a time where Jesus said there's going to be many who come to him at one point and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do miracles and heal in your name? And the Lord's going to say to them, I never knew you. That's a scary verse. Because spirit life doesn't originate in externals. Paul calls this part of you where the spirit is formed, your inner being. I don't know what your specific translation says, inner being, some say inner self, um, but we're all talking the same, the same thing. It's, and it's hard to describe that inner being by definition, but yet as I say the word, you know exactly what I mean. I, I know you understand it, that, that, that the, there's this inner being, there's this part of you. It's where your inner being is where the real you exists. Your inner being is the, is the real you. It's not the you other people see. It's not the you you maybe try to project to other people. It's the real you that only you and God can see. And your vision's not so good. <laughs> Paul calls it this inner being. You know, years ago... Someone came to me and said, Pastor, I feel so disconnected from the Lord. I I think I need to teach a Sunday school class. Isn't that interesting? Now, spiritual digression is never a quality to teach Sunday school. 
And so we directed him in another, another way. But I understood what he was saying. Because even though we know that we have this inner being, we really don't always understand it. What he was saying is, I feel distance from the Lord, so I need to do something to get closer. I need to do something so that that will satisfy and, and, and I'll, be, I'll feel closer to God. Or God, maybe God will like me more. God will accept me more. Or it'll, it'll get rid of this void, this distancing that, that I'm feeling inside of you. And, and the point is that that will never work. It, it will never work. You can't work your way back to God. Because external modifications can't fix an internal deficiency. And the inner being is all about inside you. It's not doing external things. Let me tell you something. Your inner being, it's the most essential thing about you. More than your profession, more than your titles, more than your popularity, more than... How many people like you on Facebook? More than, more than anything, you name it. More than all the other priorities or, or wonderful things about life. The essential part, the number one essential part of you is your inner being. And we need to give that attention. Now Paul goes on and he, and he builds his case. He, he tells us why this inner being is the essential thing about you. He says... Um, in verse, what is it, 17. It's this inner being that has the capacity to house the life of Jesus. It says that so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Your inner being is where you become spiritually alive. Your inner being is, is what's born again when you're born again. Your inner being is where the Holy Spirit comes and sets up shop. It's where he continues to perform the good work that he's begun in you. That all happens in you, not around you, but in you, in this, the resources of your soul and spirit, your inner being. He says it's, it's important because um, it's able to receive and discern the love that God has for you. Continuing in verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I've always loved that verse. And this passage, by the way, only makes sense to those who have spirit life living inside of them. Trust me, someone who, who is not born again reads that and scratches their head. Only a reborn inner being understands the extent of that verse and can grasp the extent of that verse, because it makes no sense. It says that you can comprehend what's not comprehensible. And you can know what's not knowable. That's, that's what it's saying. That in, in natural self, there, there's, there's something that we can, comp we can comprehend that we can't if, if that inner being's not alive. There's things we can know that's beyond just normal human knowledge. I've said it before, sin makes you stupid, but righteousness makes you insightful. Righteousness opens the eyes of understanding that comes from your inner being. 
that you didn't. And now you can see and understand and comprehend and know things that you didn't before. And now they're so clear to you. You know, we live in a three-dimensional world. We can't comprehend four dimensions. And I've read some things on it in science and technology. They're trying to, to grasp and, and project images of what four dimensions would, would look like and be like. But, but it's, talking, it's always talking in terms outside of the world. Because the world is three-dimensional. This life is three-dimensional. But yet we read this passage and we get it. But his love, notice it says his love is four-dimensional. But yet you understand it, don't you? You understand that his love has breadth, his love has height, it has depth, it has uh, length. You You comprehend it. Because you've experienced it and you understand it, not from your head, but from your heart. You understand the love of God that he says in the, in the passage is beyond knowing. That you'll know a love that's beyond knowing, beyond knowledge. The love of God, listen, on a human side of things, the love of God doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. When you consider who we are, what we've done, what we've done to him, there's no reason, there is no logical reason that God would do any of the things that he's done. There's no logical reason for him to be merciful to us, to be gracious towards us. Certainly no logical reason that he'd send a son and that son would die on our behalf, that he would give himself, give his life for us. There's just no reason for it. There's no sensible reason that God would come in the flesh and suffer much less hang on a cross and die. It doesn't make sense except to us because we then say, but God, who's rich in mercy with that great love with which he loved us. And now it all makes sense, right? His love answers all the questions. And we understand and we know the love of God that outside of that inner being, being alive, it doesn't make sense. People outside of Christ, when you say God loves you, they don't believe it. Even if they want to, they don't believe it. Because they haven't had that experience yet. They haven't had that inner man come to life yet. Our inner being is important. Thirdly, because it's where Christ-likeness is formed. Verse 19, the second part says that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul writes to the Colossians, says, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. All of God was in all of Jesus in human form. Get the the transition. All of Jesus, the whole life of Jesus is in you. Let, Let that sit. The whole life of Jesus is in you by virtue of his Holy Spirit. Because Father, Son, and Spirit are one. The fullness of the Godhead is in Christ, and the fullness of Christ is in you. All the fullness of God, I've got to keep saying it. I want you to get all the fullness of God is in you right now. At this moment in time, and isn't going anywhere. 
He's all there, not parts and pieces. You don't get more of Jesus incrementally. You may discover him. You may, he may, by his spirit, will reveal more of himself. But in that revelation, it's not more of him coming. He's there. All of the life of God is alive inside this inner being. So that means one thing today. Of all people on the planet, they're either spiritually alive or they're spiritually dead. And there's no in between. There's, there's, there's nothing, there's no third choice. See, if he were there only in part, we'd have an excuse to mess up. Right? If he's only there in part, and I mess up, then I say, well, yeah, I mean, I just don't know that part yet. I can just excuse myself. But see, all my excuses go away. If I'm going to say that Christ is in me, and I'm in Christ, where's there room for an excuse? Boy, you're quiet. Christ-like is formed in us. See, the, the problem is this. He has put all of his fullness in us. Problem is we haven't put all of our fullness in him. He's given his whole life to us, and we haven't surrendered our whole life to him. So there's this disparity. We haven't reciprocated yet. We're getting better. By God's grace and with his help, we're getting better. But as we get better, this transformation that takes place in us, it happens in our inner being. That's where his life is, is formed in us. Okay. Raise of hands. I'm taking a survey. Uh, the question is this. Shower or bath? <laughs> Preference. Shower. Whoa. Bath. Oh, you can own it. but it's a, you're, you're outnumbered, but you can own it. It, there's something, and, and it doesn't really matter which is your preference, but there's something, at least in, in my life and way of thinking, there's something very refreshing and relaxing in taking a shower or bath. Now, sometimes you just have to get it done and get out, right? I get it. But there's sometimes where you say, oh, and this just be in the water. And there, there's some, it's, it's quiet and it's private. And it, is it just me? I mean, you understand what I'm saying, right? There's something about it. Well, let's, now, in order for all that to happen, there's fixtures. Whether it's a shower or a tub, there's fixtures, right? And those fixtures are usually decorative. They're maybe something you picked out. They're, they're pretty. And, and, but they're important because they turn the water off and on. So there's, there's fixtures. And then there's, then there's, the, then there's the pipes. There's the, the water pipes, that run through, run through your house, that, that bring water to the fixtures. They're, they're important, even, they're even necessary. But then there's, there's a hot water tank. And that's essential. That's essential. See, if, if, if that tank isn't receiving the water from its source, and, and if that tank isn't 
processing the water in the way that it was created and designed to do, then you're never going to know the benefit, the peace, the comfort, the relaxation, the joy of your shower or your bath. Because, do you get the picture? I mean, this is a silly illustration, but I hope you're getting the picture. Your inner being is your hot water tank. <laughs> that, that's what, it, that's what I'm, the point I'm trying to make. That it, it's essential. If the spirit life is going to reside and grow and, and, and continue to bless and, and transform your life, it's, it's essential. So let, can we, okay, just a little bit deeper. Talk a little more about this inner being. Try and drill down. Um, Genesis 2-7. You know this verse. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Okay? Three things happen in this verse. I believe they happen simultaneously. They're presented as like a formula, and I can't necessarily prove it. You can believe whatever you want. If you want to think it was more step-by-step, that's fine. I, personally, I just think God did it. But let's break it down. Um, there, there's the dust of the ground. That's our body. He, he formed our body from the dust of the ground. Um, that, that's why we shouldn't get overly impressed with our appearance and with things. Because we're, at the end of the day, we're just earth dirt. You know, when, when, when you put cologne on today or put your makeup on, you're just putting it on earth dirt. And a nice way of thinking. But, but that's what he did, right? And then it says he breathed. Now, he breathed the breath of life. Now, he used the two different words are here. Breathe means he blew or puffed. The breath of life means inspiration or spirit. So he blew the spirit into the body. All right? Are you seeing the picture? So now we have a body. And we have a spirit in that body. And then he says, and man became a living creature. A more literal translation, he became a living soul. A live soul. So we have your body, spirit, soul. You're a tripart being. Theologians call it a trichotomy. Okay, you have three parts. Why? It's God's design. We didn't get a vote. Perhaps, perhaps, if nothing else, it's to reflect the fact that, that God is three in one. Perhaps. And we were created in his image and, and in his likeness. But this, by creation, this was human nature. In his image and likeness, body, soul, spirit. And it says that Adam and Eve stood before God, stood before each other, stood before um, themselves, naked and unashamed. And God said, this is very good. Put his stamp of approval on it. Now, we can't imagine, but it's fun to try, that existence. Before sin, try try and put that together in your mind. That that Adam and Eve had had a body. Now, it's it's our bodies that through which we, we can know and experience the world. All right? We have five senses, and through them we can get data and gather data and react and respond on a physical plane. All right, now his body was perfect. Every physical system in his body was perfect. 
cardiac, pulmonary, skeletal, nervous. I mean, you name all, whatever systems are in your body, they were all perfect. They function at maximum peak and never faltered, never failed, never weakened. Just always perfect. Before sin, I've often wondered, okay, if Adam was and Eve were physically perfect, how fast could he run? You know, physically, we have all these athletes and they keep breaking records. You know, so at one point, we could only run this fast and now we can run this fast and some, sooner or later, someone's going to run this fast. How fast could Adam run? How strong was he? What could he lift? I, I, I just wonder about these things in, in his perfection. His body wasn't appointed once to die. His body, the, the days of his body weren't numbered in his created form. Then there was the soul, the pneuma, the psyche. That's the part of us that knows and experiences ourselves. That we, we look internal. It's hard to imagine a soul that's, that's uncontaminated. A soul that's unwounded. It's our soul that acts as the command center of our life. It's our consciousness. And it was perfect. It had no struggle or misalignment with God, with others, and with self. Our soul is the seed of our personality. Imagine a life where you have no conflict within you. Imagine life, if you did some of the personality tests and assessments, all you have is all the good stuff. Nothing needs work. You blow the Enneagram out of the water because your personality is perfect in this sinless form. Your soul is the processing center of your mind. Adam and Eve thought the way God thought. Only good all of the time. Adam had all kinds of thoughts, but all of them were true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. All of the time. His thinking, unaffected. He was able to think without any negativity, any false information, any selfish desire, any fear, any guilt, any shame. None of that existed in his mind. His thoughts were perfect. I'll say it again. Sin makes you stupid. His mind was pure. Our soul is the first responder of, of our emotions. The emotions were designed by God, so they're a good thing. But in a sinless state, all of our emotions did was delight in God and delight in the world that he gave. Your emotions had none of the negativity. They only brought delight and joy satisfaction every feeling that you had could you imagine I can't imagine I'd, I'd like to your soul the decision maker of your will choices that Adam and Eve had to make before sin their choices were always in between doing what's holy and doing what's holy They always willed to do the right thing. They always willed to do the righteous thing. 
They always willed to do the honest thing. They always willed to do the, the, the just thing because their mind, or their, their will rather, was in perfect alignment with God himself. I, I can't imagine that existence, but it's fun to try. But hopefully it gives you just a small, slight picture of how far we fell and why it's such a long climb back up that we're in this journey that we're on. And then there's a spirit, body, soul, there's a spirit, the human spirit. That's the part of us that can know and experience God. Spirit, it was unrestricted, it was open, it was in continual communion with the Lord. Never disconnected in any way. Nothing hindering their open relationship and communication one with the other. Always in perfect union. Their, their spirit, is, it's the habitation of the Holy Spirit. It's where the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Somehow, and I can't explain all of it, but, but the, the Holy Spirit of God um, coexists with our spirit. There's this kind of fusion between the spirit of man and the spirit of God in his sinless state or now in our reborn condition. It's why Jesus said God is a spirit, capital S. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit, small s, and in truth. There's this fusion that takes place in our inner being. His spirit in our spirit, our spirit in his spirit. Working together, living this life together through us. See, spirit life emanates from this connection between our spirit and his spirit. By creative design, Adam was a spirit. He had a soul. He lived in a body. That's how God created us to be. In, in that order. And they lived their life as God saw them. God saw them, spirit, soul, body. God sees you from the inside out. We look at things usually from the outside in. We judge things from the outside in. God, human nature, was spirit, soul, body. And man lived that way. Adam and Eve operated that way you today are a spirit with a soul living in a body that's that's you today when Paul prays in the prayer that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being he's praying that the nature of God would become more and more your nature again that your soul and body would walk and operate in harmony and be submitted to the spirit inside of you that's alive to the Holy Spirit. That's fused together with the spirit of God. And that from that spirit life, your soul would receive its instruction and your body would act it out in the world. That's who we are. That's how we're to operate and live. That's the spirit life. And we've received it. And we have it. And now we're all living happily ever after. Why you giggle? Yeah, I know. I giggle too. 
Because we know it wasn't the end of the story, right? That wasn't the end of the story in, in Genesis, the first chapter, the first three chapters. We know the rest of the story. We take the same design, and I use this word cautiously, but it, with a phrase, God took a risk in his design. Now, I understand that he really didn't because we don't have the full picture yet. God does. He's not done yet, right? But from a human perspective, what happened? God took a, God took a risk. He, he, he made us out of dirt and divinity. He, he took dust of the earth and he breathed his spirit into us. So he made us out of dirt and divinity. Then, then he gave us made alive inside of us this independent power. That was the risk. He, he gave us a soul that was capable of freestyling. He gave us a soul that was able to choose on its own behalf. He gave us the ability, listen, to veto God. He gave us the ability to edit what God told them to do. That was a risk. In the design, he puts all kinds of trees, but he puts one tree and he says, just leave that one alone. Now, from our perspective, we're saying, how could they mess up? That's easy. I wish I'd had that opportunity. Because there were hundreds, maybe thousands of other trees, all wonderful all for nourishment. And then there was the tree of life, another tree called the tree of life that you could eat its fruit all day long. And I'm, sh- I'm sure that Adam and Eve participated of that tree and its fruit produced eternal life. That's why they had to be exiled from the garden so they wouldn't eat the tree in their fallen state. It was better than the fountain of youth. It was the fountain of life. Easy peasy, one rule in this perfect existence, but they couldn't do it. When it came down to it and they were tempted with an option, they exercised their independent power. They, they said, we have a better way. God means well, but he didn't think of this one. He didn't consider this, so we're going to do it. We're going to do it this way because it makes more sense to us. Can I tell you something? You, you need to you need to pay attention to the things that tempt you. You need to know the areas where you're vulnerable for temptation, because the enemy does. What what competes for your obedience? Listen, you will never hear that I went to a restaurant and ordered liver liver and onions. <laughs> Guarantee, never going to hear it. I go to restaurants specifically if they don't have that on the menu. <laughs> I, it has no pool, no desire. I, it, it, it should, I don't think it should exist in a food group. <laughs> it doesn't get the attention of my independent power. But if you say 16-ounce, 2-inch thick T-bone, it's another story. Anybody know Witt's ice cream? There's a few of them around town, right? It's actually perhaps probably my favorite ice cream because it's a custard. It's not, it's not just ice cream. It's a, that thicker, creamier. 
I found out recently that they built one like literally less than four minutes from my house. And I found out they added to their menu this hot fudge raspberry macadamia nut sundae. Now you know you got to pray for me. Because you have to know what tempts you so that you can curtail it. Now, I also want to give Adam and Eve a break. I'm going to defend them today. You know, a lot of times we want to blame them. But I'm going to, I'm going to defend them, in this, at least in this respect. They were caught off guard. They had never been tempted before. They didn't know what temptation felt like. They didn't know about this roaring lion that was going about seeking who you may devour. So we have to cut them a little bit of slack because we know it. We know he's there. We know what temptation feels like. We know what temptation is to us and still act shocked when we mess up. So let's give them a little bit of a break. Man sinned. And when man sinned, theologians use the term died. His spirit died. Okay, that, it's a good term, but if you take it literal, it's, it's a misleading term, that his spirit died. What, what happened is, is immediately man's nature changed. The nature in which he lived, spirit, soul, body, it, it changed. Human nature was, was redesigned, if you would, recreated. It, it became a fallen nature. The sin nature became human nature. Still a spirit with a soul living in a body, but a dead spirit. A spirit where the fusion between our spirit and the Holy Spirit was now separated. And man's spirit no longer had a voice in how man lived. Man's spirit no longer had power to tell its soul how to live. And our soul, who needs information so it can think and choose and feel, couldn't rely on the spirit anymore. So what does the soul do? Turns to the body, who receives information from all around the world, from all over the place, from all around it, based on its five senses. What does it feel like to me? What's it sound like to me? What's it taste like to me? What's it look like to me? And tells the soul, think this way. Choose this way. Feel this way. Based on what's best for me. On the limited knowledge and information that I have. How many of you know that's not a working system? It gets us in trouble all the time. But that became human nature. That's how Adam and Eve began to live. And you saw, we, we know the, 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 it happened instantaneous. Man who used to can't wait and, and run to God is now hiding from God. The man who, who, who saw his, his wife and says, oh, this is, this is now flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones is now saying, the woman you gave me. Instantly, there was a transformation in their nature. 
And we see it in Genesis, the fifth chapter. It, it says, and repeats, it says that Adam was created in the image and likeness of God. But then it goes on and says, but when Adam fathered children, they were in his, in Adam's image and likeness. See, this, this sin nature is our nature. That beautiful little child that's born, you're never going to have to teach it to do wrong. You're never going to have to teach it to lie or to protect itself or to blame others to save themselves. Never going to have to. I'm going to have to teach it to do something wrong because when Adam fell, we fell. And that human nature is passed on now, generation generation to generation. And the beautiful thing of the picture in the garden is that instantly we see the nature of God. Instantly he started a plan to reconcile us back to himself. In the garden, it was in the form of making them animal skins to cover themselves. Remember, they tried to cover themselves right away. Another sign that something drastically had shifted. He gave them animal skins to cover themselves. Personally, I can't prove it. The Bible doesn't say, I think it was lamb's wool. That, that's just on the side. And then, and then God continues. The patriarchs, the judges, the priests, the prophets, generations of time. But in all that, man, man couldn't overcome this sin nature. He couldn't get on top of it. He couldn't get back to that, that wonderful way in which he was created. So God did something unimaginable. He sent himself. He sent himself. First, he sends his word to dwell with us. The word became flesh. Jesus comes as a man. He lives sinlessly, and they killed him for it. But there's good news for us, because sinless blood always leads to an empty grave. Sinless blood always leads to an empty grave when it's shed. When Jesus rose, the Bible says, when he rose, we rose. When he rose and resurrected, he made that available to us, that we can rise, that we can be restored. Secondly, then he sends his spirit. His son came to be with us. His spirit comes to not only be with us, but to be in us. The fullness of God dwells in you. And in that, the fusion happens again. In that, the Spirit of God awakens our spirit. Our dead spirit comes alive to the Spirit of God. And once again, there's this new life. There's this reborn life. There's proper order, spirit, soul, body. We're able to function again in a way in which meets and matches the design that was in the heart of God at the beginning. Our relationship with God is restored, but not in perfection, unfortunately. Not as before sin. Because we're still in a fallen world. And because that old nature still keeps appealing to our independent power. 
Now, we're not going to go with that today. That's going to be next week's conversation, okay? So I hope you can come and join with us. We'll talk about that battle that's inside of us. But for this week, as, as we close this thing, I, I want you to focus on the wonder of you. I want you to just, just pause for a moment and, and think internally. By God's design, right now, if you're a Christian, right now, you're a reborn spirit with a soul that's being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And you're living in a body that's one day going to be resurrected and made immortal and incorruptible. That's who you are right now. Paul said it this way, we have this treasure in jars of clay. King James, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. His life in you. That's your inner being. That's your inner man. That's your inner self. The life of God active inside of you. I want you just to feel the impact of that reality today. I want to let you just soak in that for a second. What, what does it mean to you? How does it impact your life? How does it impact the way you live? I'm going to give you a take-home assignment if, if you allow me. If you have paper and pencil, I should have printed these and I apologize. I didn't think to do it. But I want you to take time this week alone with the Lord and consider the implications of this this reality spirit you're a spirit with a soul living in a body and in that order because when God sees us he sees your inner your inner being first and most that's where he looks man looks on the outward appearance God looks at the heart so I want you to spend a few minutes and and, uh, two statements each with a question They should be hopefully on the screen. If not yet, they will be. My life is in Christ and Christ is in me. Meditate on that thought. And along with it, with the Holy Spirit, work through the question, how can I strengthen my inner being? And just think real practically. And let the Lord bring areas of thought to mind. And secondly, the statement is, I believe that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. That same power, same dynamic, in its fullness. And the question, what things can you overcome that your old nature keeps wanting to trip you up with? Spend some time with the Lord, developing that. and Let him speak to you. Because there's a life inside of you that can overcome everything and anything that the enemy destroyed. Would you do that this week? But I want you to understand what a unique person you are. Listen, don't ever apologize for being a Christian. Don't ever feel you need to take a back place because of the life that's alive inside of you. Everybody in your world needs to know about that. Everybody in your world that doesn't have that reality living in them needs you, whether they know it or not. Because it's still his desire that all men 
have opportunity to know that same saving faith. Why don't you stand with me? We'll just close our time in prayer. But I really want to encourage you. Take some time this week. You and God. Have a little pad so you can journal any thoughts or impressions that the Lord may give you. We have to take this thing seriously. This is our life. And this is what the core of our life is about. It's not about our careers. It's not about raising our kids. It's not about having a home. It's not about building a portfolio. I'm not dissing any of those things. I'm saying they pale in importance when we talk about what's essential. So Father, here we are. Your children. Your sons and daughters. Those who you have made alive. Even though we were at one point dead in our trespasses and sin. You've made us alive together with Christ. You've seated us with him. In heavenly places. Spirit of God. Bring that reality fresh to every one of us today. Let us recognize the wonder and the privilege and the high honor of this spirit life that's in us. All because of your love, your goodness, and your mercy, and your grace. And Lord, let that, let that life mature in us. Let, let our inner being be strengthened with the truth of your word today and let us be determined to allow and cause and live our lives in a way that feeds that inner being so that we can in the world in life we can become more and more and more like you that your life resident in us would become radiant through our very lives for your glory. Lord, bless your people today. Thank you for their heart to know you and serve you and become like you. Dismiss us with your peace and your joy. If there's any here that need healing in their body, God, would you touch them? Would you just heal their infirmities? Show yourself strong on their behalf. If there's any discouraged, would you encourage them with your word today? Would you open their eyes through your word to see who they are, to see themselves the way you see them as a dear, precious child 